This is God's word. You have heard it you have heard that it, it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If you love the world, love for the Father is not in you. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful people, the lust of their eyes and their boasting about what they have and do, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we come to this space from different places in our experiences and in the spiritual spectrum. So there's hurt in this room and there's wounds in this room that are raw. But there is also um, thankfulness, joy, and gratitude in this room. There are strong beliefs in you in this room and there are strong doubts in you in this room and from all these places we pray that you meet us now and show us that we're really all in the same boat we're all more of a mess than we care to admit and show us that that in Jesus we are all more loved and accepted than we ever imagined teach us through that kind of grace now we pray amen well, 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 how do you even start something like this, a topic like this? A lot of times people start with a joke. I don't have a joke. I'm just going to dive right in. I'll start with your, your help um, because people, you know, you can fill out these contact cards each week. You can put a question, you can put an answer to the question of the week that's in the ivory-colored uh, leaflet thing. And so next week's is about marriage and, you know, give us some tidbit about marriage from your perspective. Last week, this question came up to help us talk today about this. Is, is sexual desire a bad thing? Why or why not? So someone says, our Puritan background screams to us that all pleasure, including and especially sexual pleasure, is deeply and surprisingly shameful but we spit in the face of God's gift to us when we talk of it as if it were some shameful aspect of ourselves. Someone else says, um, no, explanation point. <laughs> not, even if we're, not even if you're a woman. Sexual desire is a gift that allows us to bond in a uniquely close way with another person and only steers us when it's not paired with commitment. And then someone else says, no, it teaches surrender and total trust. I thought that was interesting to consider desire as something that it can kind of teach us. You know, I think part of, where, part of starting with this topic is to just give a minute of exposure to our, the landscape that we find ourselves in with regard to sex and sexuality and desire. 
And it's a landscape that's pretty confusing and polluted. Naomi Wolf explains with this quote, the feminist message of autonomy has gotten filtered through a pornographized culture. The message young women heard was just go for it sexually. We've raised a generation of young women and men who don't understand sexual ethics. They don't see sex as sacred or even very important anymore. Sex has been commodified and drained of its deeper meaning. That's, that's one interesting thought about it, about where we're at. Has uh, the whole realm of sexuality been kind of trivialized and just, put it, it just become this sort of small part of life? In an episode of a lot of your favorite TV show, Friends, a lot of, a lot of you just love that show. In an episode, Monica asks this man she was dating, so we can still be friends and have sex? Sure, he replies. It'll be like, it'll just be something we do together, like racquetball. So, you know, does, is that like a, a tagline for our age? Sex, it's just like racquetball. It's no big deal, it's just a game. In some ways, sex has become trivialized and, and, and given a really low value of importance. When I was um, in Seattle this week for a couple days, Lisa and I got a chance to just go see Seattle without kids, and we were in an Airbnb, and what do you know, but they have TV, and, and I, we don't watch a lot of TV, so we don't have cable, so there are all these channels, and just two minutes browsing through some show called Girl Code, I think on maybe VH1 or VH4, I don't know. Um, just, so just Girl Code, and the topic of the show, like the headline of what they were talking about was Friends with benefits. And so everybody was just giving all this great wisdom about this whole terrain of friends with benefits. You know, someone who you're not really calling boyfriend or girlfriend, but um, you have a sexual relationship with that's just kind of like for fun on the side. So it just kind of makes me think that, yeah, there's something to this of sex becoming something that is just sort of uh, just not a big deal, really low importance. Just a game. But then our, our culture is confusing because then on the other side, you can find examples um, of how sex is given ultimate authority and sexuality is given ultimate sway in deciding things and trumping all kinds of other authorities in our lives. So, for example, when the New York Times uh, highlights this couple in 2010 who, uh, who lived in New York and, and they both had a spouse and children but they found each other in the midst of school events and eventually got married um, and left both their families. So this is kind of some of the thinking. These are some of the quotes. As Mr. Partia saw it, their options were either to act on their feelings and break up their marriages or to deny their feelings and live dishonestly. And another quote from the couple. Um, were we brave enough, this was their thinking, were we brave enough to hold hands and jump? There's this sense of the sexual draw, the sexual connection is so authoritative that it trumps all these other authorities in your life, like marriage commitments and stability of the psychological well-being of your children. So just it's heavy stuff, but okay, so we've got like, on the one hand, ah, it's just a game, and on the other hand, it's your core identity. Even at the level of Supreme Court rulings and discussions and writings, there's talk of how uh, your... Your adult consensual sexual choices 
are a part of, are like a fundamental right that needs to be protected among all other huge considerations. It's just, it, it's something that is worth stewing on where that goes. In Germany, that, uh, in 2006, that argument, that exact argument was used to take down the centuries-old law against sibling marriage. It's just interesting to think about once sexuality has that kind of authority, it kind of trumps everything else. So I think that's confusing, right? It's a game. No, it's your core identity, and everything else has to kind of yield to it. Also, let's just talk about some of the day-to-day wreckage of how sexuality is used in our, in our culture and how we're affected by it. Young women grow up from a very early age being given a, an absolutely ridiculously unrealistic concept of body image and beauty so that you are, really can only stand tall and feel good about yourself if you match up with about maybe 1% to 2% of the female population in terms of your body type. And the agonizing just grind of that day in and day out. Um, on the other hand, I'm going to keep things as short as I can today. I had another a quote on that, but I think you know, you know about that body image stuff. On the other hand... Men, in growing numbers, are addicted to pornography, where that same body image thing also comes into play. And so scores and scores of men are getting um, hardwired for a sort of impersonal relationship connectedness, a sort of um, person-free pleasure or relationship-free sexual encounter. So we're messed up. We're confused. There's a landscape that is just corroded and polluted, and it's all around us. And I'm really thankful that that stuff doesn't affect us in the church. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed. Um, And that's exactly, you know what? That's exactly what the people of Jesus' day, they thought, that the purity culture of their religious establishment was going to protect them from that corrosion and that pollution. And so when Jesus says, you've heard it was it said, don't commit adultery, he's, um, he's tapping into a common knowledge of what that means, what kind of few guidelines there were of how adultery happens and what kind of box that fits in. It was a pretty easy box, you know, it's... it's it's don't have that, that specific act with a specific person that you're not in a marriage covenant with. And it was kind of like you knew you could be assured of your purity if you followed that law to that kind of box. And Jesus is, was here then and is here today to expose the corrosion of the sexuality of even the fastidious religious rule keepers. Um, and just to give you like one little piece of background, and this is kind of where if you're the Bible person who wants the, 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 Bi- the layers of the Bible background to this, this is where you get kind of excited, little, little flutters here of excitement as you see the background of this text. In chapter 5, verse 20, 
Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Pretty ominous, scary result. Basically, so when Jesus says you've got to have a righteousness that's greater than the Pharisees and teachers of the law, he's like saying, unless you're a better swimmer than Michael Phelps. You know, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of the weight of that statement. Unless you have more money than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. Unless you lose more basketball games than the Sacramento Kings. Um, it's, it's this sense of like, what? That's impossible. You are giving us an impossibly high standard. These, are the, these were the fastidious, holy, righteous people of Jesus' day. And Jesus says, as he inter- introduces the, the, teaching within which, the teachings within which our particular adultery teaching today fits, he introduces some teachings, and, and that's the start. Is, okay, I'm going to lay some things out for you, and I'm going to show you how your righteousness, righteousness has to go even deeper than those rules that are being followed by the religious leaders. And so when he talks about adultery, he goes into this, and he says, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And so he does a couple of things there that make it impossible to make up a religious rule to follow that. Can you imagine a rule that you would live by that would guarantee that you wouldn't have a lustful thought about someone? How, and that you could say, yeah, that... Totally, I'm following that rule, and I know like that t- today, yesterday, the whole month, I've... Can you imagine? How would you... You can't. You can't come up with a rule for that. It says, basically, that you, you're committing lust in your heart. It's, it goes way deeper than just some actions out here that you can frame in. So how do you make a rule for your heart to follow that will... Yeah, my heart's always... It's, it, it's just confusing. And that's exactly the point. You need something so much more powerful, so much more um, catalytic than a new set of rules in order to know and be assured that you are pure enough for God's high standard. And, and it is kind of ominous. I mean, it's this whole language of, you know, you're can't, not even going to get into heaven if your standards aren't higher than the fastidious religious people. And, and then this talk about, you know, it's better, better that your hand is lost or your eyeball is, is uh, maimed than for you to be in hell, which is, the Greek is the word Gehenna. So it's a word that's used for hell, yes. Also, it's just a physical place of, of a, a burning trash heap outside of town. That's Gehenna. And so there's sort of this fire and burning nature, this eternal spreading wildfire nature that Jesus is kind of pointing to in the realm of sexual uh, desire. In other words, you can't hide behind fastidious religious um, purity because sex will still burn you up at the level of your heart. And you need a righteousness that exceeds all other righteousness and touches all the way down to your heart. So what has happened by Jesus then is that he's, le- he's, he's done a great leveling. Because in his day as well as in ours, there's, there's the broader culture he could have pointed to and bemoaned and said, I'm really glad all of you are not like that world out there with their, you know, and then gone through the list. That's kind of easy to do. And he didn't do that. He brought it in to the folks who were looking for that, 
that better way, that, that way of getting to God, that way of being seen as pure in God's eyes. And he said, let me tell you about this incredibly high standard of purity that you have before you. He levels it for everyone. We're in the same boat. We're just as corroded as all those out there. Both are exposed as being corroded. So, Jesus says, basically to us in this passage, so, what's your plan? What's your plan to be pure enough for God's incredibly high standards? And so then you start wondering, I hope you just pause with that question for a second. What's your plan to be pure enough and not corrupted? Is Jesus teasing us? Is this a joke? Teasing us with this impossibly high standard? The disciples eventually, after enough of these kinds of teachings, they ask him that question. In chapter 19, verse 25, they say, they were greatly astonished and they asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus says, it's kind of, you can almost sense it, aha, finally, somebody that, finally someone's getting the point here. Jesus looked at them and said, with human beings, this is, anybody know the word? Impossible. With human beings, this is impossible. Thank you. But with God, all things are possible. I'm convinced that so many of Jesus' teachings, especially these really, really extreme hard ones, are meant to just have us in this kind of stopped, deer in the headlights, stumbling, where we realize what we thought was going to save us is not enough. And it makes us just fix our eyes even more on Jesus and say, what do you mean? Where are you going with this? Where does this all lead? What, what's going to happen? Tell me something. Give me the thing that is going to get me close to God, is going to convince me that I'm acceptable in God's presence. What is it? And so then if you have that curiosity, you kind of keep reading. Or in Jesus' day, you keep following him and trying to figure out where this is all going. And he leads you, he leads you to the cross. He leads you to himself. Because your only hope is to have a purity that is given to you. To have a purity. Wouldn't it be great if somehow someone perfectly pure could move in your place and sort of do a little exchange? That's what happens on the cross where Jesus actually goes totally vulnerable and naked which, which he was on the cross. I know there's a lot of the paintings and pictures. You could do some little, little cover-up action, you know. He goes totally naked and totally vulnerable because as the Bible talks about, Jesus is our bride. Or we are the bride of Christ. He's like our groom. And you can look at the act of Jesus on the cross as being sort of like this act that assures us and makes, makes official our wedding to God like that seal on a marriage license. So Jesus goes, and on the cross, he lays himself out vulnerable and naked. And what does he receive? Does he receive romantic love and good feelings in return? No. He receives all the corrosion and the pride of all of our hearts. And And then he goes and he experiences hell for us. That's exactly what we needed. He receives the punishment and the, and the broken ending that we deserve so that we can receive the relationship with God that is received by someone who has 
a greater righteousness than the most fastidious religious people in the world. You see how Jesus is the answer? I don't know if you've found that to be true for yourself yet. But our only hope is that the only sexually pure being ever goes in our place and gives us a purity that we can't attain. And what we learn through that and what we learn through Jesus' extreme teaching here is that there is no impurity that is out of the reach of God's grace. There's no impurity. There's no sexually, sexual impurity that God is embarrassed by or shocked by. His grace just reaches out to all of it and covers it all and is strong enough for it all. So I, I believe that we are kind of like people walking through a desert, a wasteland of corrosion and pollution. That our lives, not even just sexually, but as a whole, our lives are full of just sort of like a drought, a permanent drought, a desert wasteland, a wilderness. Um, the song that we sang just before this had to do with longing for something better to satisfy. Um, feeding on the filth around me till my strength is almost gone. Longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. That is us. We're running around a desert and coming back to this, imagine a building, you, and you come to this building and, and it's got a spigot coming off the back of it and you're convinced every time you're so thirsty and just dying and you just turn it and you drink from it and you just keep coming back and back to this spigot and it's releasing this polluted wastewater. That's like us going to... to going to sex for the wrong things, for our approval, for our identity. And there's many things we go to that are that polluted water. And as we go back and forth, it's almost as if we don't realize, like we've shut it out of our minds, that that is actually on the backside of a building that has an open-air tavern, imagine, with swinging doors open and the host calling your name you, somehow you've just stuffed your ears full of things and you're not, you're not even ready to hear it. But if you could pull that out and listen, you'd hear your name coming from around the other side of the building and there's a chair for you to pull up to the bar and in front of you would be set this, by the host, would be set this elixir of life that is exactly what you need. I don't know if you remember that, this crazy books, The Hunger Games, and how... Um, in the Hunger Games, you know, it's all advanced technology, and so out of the sky would drop this, this, this elixir, this healing thing that, like, is way beyond any medicine we have today. I find that fascinating, the idea that just, you know, you've got this terrible, life-threatening thing on your arm, and you just dab a couple drops, and in two hours, you're practically better, you know. That, imagine that in this little crazy analogy I'm painting for you. <laughs> that you walk around the building, and the host puts this thing before you, and it is the, it is the, the water of life. It is the living water. You'll never thirst again. And sure, the, the world is still a desert to navigate, but you'll be filled. Sex doesn't fill that way, but we, we think it will. And in fact, you know, there's a lot of unhapp unhappily married people, maybe here today even, and then there's a lot of unhappily unmarried people, and then there's even some happily married people and among those, if you would talk to them, they would tell you that sex doesn't reach deep enough 
to satisfy my soul. Even in a happily good marriage with good sex, it's not deep enough. It's not the thing that really answers the deepest longing in my heart. That's where you need Jesus as your bridegroom. That's where you need the completely satisfying grace of God to fill you all the way up. Do you have it? Have you, have you regularly learned how to walk around that building and just kind of look at and see the water spigot for what it is and go around? At least you're starting to go around and receive what really satisfies. I, I think there's only really... I, I view it... I'm just going to close here. There's basically like a threefold pattern or a set of questions, I guess. So first of all, have you, have you hit that point where you just say, my approach to sex is fundamentally flawed. I don't care if you're married, unmarried, divorced, straight, or gay. My approach to sexuality is fundamentally flawed and I need help across the board. Have you gotten there yet? And then secondly, what do you do with that realization? Do you turn then and, and, and buy all the books on sexual purity from the religious bookstore? Ah, see, it's a good observation, but where do you go with it? Do you go for the rules? Some of you need, maybe need to. Um, <laughs> um, but I hope that you'll start instead by going to what the epistle to John, which we didn't touch on yet, says, the love of the Father. The Father's love. Is the Father's love in you amidst all the de- desires of the world? I hope you'll go to the Father's love and drink deep after realizing how corroded and polluted you are. And then... (laughs) Thanks for laughing. And and then... Then go to the books. Because if you're filled up, if you're filled up with the love of God, then that can start to spill over and you you can say, okay, I'm not going to earn... God's acceptance through purity. But I sure want to start aligning with this grace that has been so good to me. I sure want to start um, doing what makes the Father happy because His love is just filling me. And actually what it does is it starts to reroute. You can start to rebuild a sexual identity around um, around health around that deepest love that you need filled now that's filled i'm not using sex to try to fill that anymore and you can actually start to rewire and you can actually start to pursue some of these things and find some level of purity even though it's still not going to be enough to earn the father's love let us pray gracious god may this be a message of grace that we experience uh, even though I just basically said we're all so polluted and corrupted, may this the grace for polluted and corrupt souls be so evident as we ponder your scripture this morning. Lead us to talk about this with those in whom, with whom we are in relationship. Lead us to talk about this with friends. Lead us to talk about this and pray about this and to come back to keep talking about this as we deal more with marriage and divorce next week. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.